All right. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah? Hanging out? Chilling? Cool? I like it. I like it. Uh, my name is Marco. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse. Thank you guys so much for joining us at the Old Church Winery. Uh, it's always pretty baller to be here. We really love uh, visiting the Old Church Winery. We love hanging out here at the Old Church Winery. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, it's just, it's just always fun to come into this building that once was a church. The last time, uh, the first time that we were here, one of the things we talked about was that the last time the gospel was preached and heralded in this facility was in the 1950s. And so it is just such uh, an honor to get to use this place uh, regularly uh, and just get to preach the gospel and herald it and be a community of believers together in here. Anyway, with that being said, as a little bit of background of the Old Church Winery, uh, should this be your first time here in this building. Uh, we're going to find ourselves in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. So if you'd like to open or load your Bible, go ahead and do so. Um, I'll go ahead and rant a little bit and, uh, as, we, as we really dive into our time. And so we started uh, our series in uh, Philippians. We titled it Citizens. We started this series about three weeks ago. And uh, over the past three weeks, we've already walked through a lot of different uh, things that Paul has for us. We have talked about being saved by grace, who we once were and who Jesus says we now are. We have talked about unity uh, and partnership in light of being uh, believers and a community of believers and what that looks like. Uh, and today, we're going to talk about something that's real. I think it's something that isn't often discussed or talked about in churches um, for several reasons. We'll dive into those in just a moment. But uh, it's something that is really not talked about as much, and that's suffering. We don't really talk much about suffering. I think many times we have our own understanding of what suffering is, but we're going to look at what suffering is, what suffering isn't as it relates or as we see Paul in this section of Scripture. And so as we dive into this time, because we're talking about suffering, we must come to all, we must come to this one realization and the realization, the truth is that we will suffer. That is a realization that we just need to put on the table, talk about, and work through, that we will suffer. The real question, however, is whether or not we will suffer well. That would be the question. You see, when we begin to talk about suffering or when we begin to work through what suffering is, many of you are going to check out because suffering reminds you of something that's uncomfortable. It reminds you of pain. It reminds you of things that you don't really want to bring up or talk about. Others will become self-righteous. Self-righteous in the sense that I personally don't know what your hardship is or what your suffering has been and that I cannot relate. And you're probably true or that's probably Accurate. I cannot relate to your suffering, nor am I trying to in this time. Instead, what I want us to do is, I want you to, man, stay with me for the next couple of minutes, but I want us to look to this man named Paul, who is writing to a church in Philippi in chains in a Roman prison. And he talks about suffering. And in another letter, 2 Corinthians he writes about the various forms of suffering that he has undergone. 
And so in our time, my encouragement is that we look to Paul in terms of what it really means to suffer. That way I'm taking out of the equation and we're looking at the Word of God. And so I'm going to briefly read 2 Corinthians parts of chapter 11 and parts of chapter 12. You don't have to go there. Uh, so just hang in there and, 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 and hear the words of Paul. This is chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. He says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, and danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? Jumping into chapter 12, beginning of verse 7, he writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God said, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's Paul's listing of his sufferings. See, when we talk about suffering, one of two things tends to happen. Or actually, one, two things tend to happen with one result. One, as I mentioned, we will distance ourselves because we're talking about something that's uncomfortable. We're talking about pain. Or we will become self-righteous. But what we really learn, what really happens when we choose one of those two options is that we are ultimately revealing that we have a poor understanding of suffering according to the teachings of Scripture. And so that's what I hope to unpack today in Philippians 1. And so here's the question I want you to have at the forefront of your mind. Here's the question that I want you to wrestle with as we walk through Philippians 1. The question is, when you suffer, it's not a question of if, but when you suffer, will your suffering be purposeful or will it be purposeless? Will it be purposeful or will it be purposeless? Here's what I'll do. I'm going to read just the first part of our time. This is verses 12 through 14. I'll read that. I'll jump into prayer, and then we'll keep moving forward. This is what Paul writes to the Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. That's like the Secret Service 
Those are the, the top Roman uh, soldiers. Throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we, man, as we continue to worship you through the preached word, my simple prayer is that I would be set aside and that it would be your Holy Spirit who is at work in your people and ultimately at work through them for the glory of your name and for our personal sanctification. Lord, I pray that this time would be fruitful. I pray that this time that I would be faithful, that we would be edified, convicted, and ultimately giving you all the glory. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, here we go. You guys ready? Okay, so as we open up in verse 12, one of the first things I want you to look at before we dive into some practical things, one of the first things that I want you to look at as we are looking at verse 12 is that Paul talks about him being imprisoned, but he doesn't give any details about his imprisonment. He doesn't give any details on whether or not he has food, whether or not he's sleeping on the floor or in a bed, if he's taken care of. He doesn't give any of those details. The only thing that he does say is that he's imprisoned. And the reason that's so important is because his imprisonment or the details of his imprisonment is not what his focus is. It's not what his focus is. Instead, what Paul's focus is in that season, in that calamity, what his focus is, is that the gospel would be advancing. That's what his focus is. In other words, he's not confined by his circumstance. Instead, he actually sees his circumstance as an opportunity. In fact, in this setting or in this context, it is an echoing of what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.9 where he writes, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Here's the crux. He says, But the Word of God is not bound. In chains, imprisoned, he is saying, man, the whole point of this, the whole point of me being imprisoned and chained to a Roman guard is for Jesus. It is for the advancement of the gospel. I might do this. I might just walk up and down the aisle. I was tempted to do this earlier. Anyway, his imprisonment is specifically for Christ and for the advancement of the gospel. And that's where his head's at. And so what that teaches you and me, what it teaches us is that every circumstance is an opportunity to advance the gospel. That's what it should teach us. Every circumstance is an opportunity to advance the gospel. The question and the reality is, do we have a clear understanding of what suffering is? What suffering isn't? So that's what we're going to unpack so we're going to look at a couple of things that suffering is and what it isn't and what it should lead us to. Starting with the first one. All right? First one is that suffering is not punishment, but it is a result of sin. All of these are going to be in pairs. Now let's look at the first one. Suffering is not punishment. If you belong to Jesus, if you are a Christian, when you undergo seasons of suffering, it is not punishment. It is not punishment because Christ has already endured your punishment at the cross. He has already taken your debt and given you His credit. It is not punishment. However, it is a result of sin. 
The psalmist writes that we are born into sin. That suffering is real. It's going to be a part, tragically, of our daily lives. There will be some dark, heavy, and difficult days. We can look at some of the events from this past week to affirm that. The school shooting in Santa Fe, Texas. There was a plane crash over Havana where 100 passengers tragically died. Suffering is real. Suffering is going to happen to us personally, and it is going to be around us continually. And so our hope is in Jesus and the fact that He is who restores and makes all things new. But suffering is not punishment. But it is a result of sin. And we don't have to look to current events to affirm that. We can look to our daily lives and how we drop the ball and how we sin against one another and how we betray one another because some of you have been there. Maybe some of you are there now. Right? You're in a difficult season. That's number one. Suffering is not punishment, but it is a result of sin. Number two, suffering can be corrective and it could also be instructive. It can be corrective in the sense that God uses suffering to discipline His children. My son loves to quote propaganda and one of the things that Seth quotes is this line where propaganda says God takes crooked sticks and makes straight lines out of them. That God disciplined as a father to his children disciplines his children to correct them, to align them back where they should be according to his word. So it can be corrective. It could it can be a result of discipline. He will use that. The second thing is that it could also be instructive. Suffering can be instructive in the sense that God allows us to undergo suffering for our own personal sanctification to where we are growing and maturing in who God is and what God has said and what His promises are and that ultimately our faith is being tested to see or to, to, to view its genuineness. You can look at First Peter for that. He will allow it to instruct us to grow, to mature as Christians. Number three, suffering is not an excuse. We'll park here for a little bit. Suffering is not an excuse. And we're going to look at this in two ways. The first one, suffering is not an excuse to sin. Some of you, some of us, when we undergo seasons of difficulty and calamity and suffering, you are so overwhelmed that you choose, I want to make that clear, you choose to indulge in sin. You choose to make foolish decisions. You choose to do things you know you should not, but you use your season of suffering as an excuse It's because it's really difficult. It's because I'm overwhelmed. It's because this isn't going right. It's because I haven't gotten to this point in my life. Therefore, you choose to indulge in your suffering. And you'll even make the excuse about sanctification. But that is not how it works. Suffering is not an excuse to sin. Suffering, in addition to that, is not an excuse to be sinned against. Sometimes Christians will become 
remarkably passive and allow others to sin against us and we will use it as an excuse and say, oh, they're being sanctified. Man, they just got to get it out. They're working through their things. That's great that they're being sanctified. I'm glad that you're seeing it so positively, but that does not annul the fact that you should not be sinned against and use suffering as an excuse to be sinned against. A practical example could be that in a marriage where the husband is abusive verbally or physically, however, and the wife receives it and says, man, well, he is working through it. God is at work in him. He is being sanctified. And part of that is like, okay, yeah, he may be getting some sanctification. That does not mean you should be receiving any form of abuse. And Christians will become incredibly passive when it comes to some seasons of suffering. Number four, suffering is, if we suffer well, purposeful. This goes back to the question I asked at the beginning. Suffering is, if we suffer well, purposeful. For this, we look to verses 13 and 14. I'll reread them briefly. Verse 13, Paul writes, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of my, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Let me give you kind of the context. So Paul is in chains. He is chained to a Roman guard. These Roman guards have shifts. And so they're changing throughout the day to keep an eye on Paul. Paul says that his opportunity is to preach the gospel to these dudes. And so regardless of how often they're changing their shift or they're switching, every time a new guard comes, Paul preaches the gospel. Another one comes, Paul preaches the gospel. Another one comes in, Paul preaches the gospel. He's preaching the gospel to the entire imperial guard that some of these dudes are now becoming Christians. Right? So suffering can be purposeful. How does that apply to you and I? How that applies to you and I is that non-Christians are watching you. They're watching you. They are seeing how you're going to respond to a season of suffering. They are seeing how you're going to respond to your spouse. They are looking at how you're going to respond to your calamity. They are going to see what kind of a reflection you are going to have since you consider yourself to be a Christian. And what Paul says is even in chains, it's an opportunity to share the gospel so that more can come to know Jesus. Non-Christians are watching you. See, over the past week or so, a couple of people have become Christians in our church, which is awesome. Praise God for that. That's super cool. I love that. That is God at work, right? But previous to that, they spent a short, brief season watching you on Sunday mornings. Before they got plugged into a community group, before they got plugged into the life of the church, they sat and they watched and asked questions. Non-Christians will be watching us. Every circumstance is an opportunity to advance the Gospel. Paul sees it as that way, and he doesn't waste his suffering. Additionally, verse 14, this is what he writes. He says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So on one sense, or in one side, we have Paul who is preaching the gospel to non-Christians and they are becoming Christians. So for us, that means non-Christians are watching. And then there's this other side where 
Christians are listening and watching Paul. And what ends up happening is that they become encouraged, they become empowered, and they now start boldly preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. And so just as much as non-Christians are watching us, other Christians are watching us as well so that they would be encouraged, so that they would be empowered, so that they would be encouraged by how God is using you and by what God is doing in your life. Please, please do not waste your suffering. Do not waste your suffering. People are watching, whether it's a brother or not, people are watching. And Paul's agenda in this season, in this context, is that Christ's word would be proclaimed, that Christ would receive all the glory, and that more and more people would come to know Jesus. That is his agenda, that is his goal in this context. Moving, moving on. Actually, before we move on, sorry, before we move on, when it comes to man, non-Christians and, and, and Christians, here, here's one thing I found this week. I, I found it to be interesting. Christianity Today came out with an article and said that about 73% of non-Christians actually want to have a conversation about faith. They want to hear the gospel and hear about Jesus. Yet, out of the evangelical churches that were surveyed, about 30% of those Christians actually share the gospel. We have an immense opportunity in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. And the opportunity is for the gospel to be advanced. Right? Moving, moving on, this is verses uh, 15 to 18. This is what Paul writes. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Here's what Paul is talking about in this section. Right? And we'll dive back into that list shortly. The people Paul is writing about are not false teachers. When he talks about people who are uh, preaching Christ out of envy and jealousy, right? The people he is writing about, he is saying, man, there are some brothers who love Jesus and they're preaching Christ. That's awesome. These other people, these are not false teachers. They are not heretics. They're actually other Christians. You see, these other Christians aren't anti-God. They're anti-Paul. Hence, this is why they are preaching out of rivalry and jealousy. Why that's so important for you and I to know is because historically, and I'll tie this back into us in our time, historically, many believe that the reason Paul was executed, the last letter he wrote was 2 Timothy, about six months later he was executed. Many believe that the reason he was executed was because of other Christians who were stirring up strife outside the walls of, his, of the prison he was in. 
They kept on preaching out of jealousy. They were preaching out of envy. They were talking about Paul. They were uh, mocking Paul. And so they stirred up a lot of strife that was going on outside. And many believe that is what led Paul to be executed. Many will actually point to uh, Clement of Alexandria. He was a Roman Christian. And in one of his letters to the church in Corinth, he's writing to them to let them know Paul is, has been executed. And the opening statement of, his, of, of him telling them about Paul, he writes this, By reason of jealousy and strife, Paul, by his example, pointed out the prize of patient endurance. And when he had borne his testimony before the rulers, he departed from the world and went to heaven. Clement believed that the reason Paul was executed was because of jealousy and strife within the church. That's what he's getting at. Within the church, that is what led to his execution. You see, even in the midst of prison, Paul's focus is that Christ would be glorified and that the Gospel would be preached. And there were still brothers and sisters inside of the church causing and stirring strife and jealousy. And again, many believe that is what led to his execution. And so we go back to that list that we were looking at about suffering. Suffering should lead to worship and not division. Suffering should lead to worship and not division. You see, in suffering, we should, as Christians, actually be compelled to love Jesus all the more. In suffering, we remember that we have a high priest who sympathizes with us, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. That we are compelled to love Jesus more. Not distance ourselves from Him, but that we draw closer to Him. Not distance ourselves from Him and His Word. Yet if you find yourself in that season where you are drawing yourself away from the Lord, my admonishment to you would be to repent. To repent, turn away from your sin, and trust in Jesus. No one said that there aren't going to be hard days. But our hope doesn't lie in the darkened days. Our hope lies in the fact that Christ restores all things. That Christ makes people not better, but new. Additionally, suffering, what it also does is it reveals our deprivation. Kind of connecting that back up to what happened with Paul. Suffering should reveal our deprivation. If Paul was executed because of the things that were going on within the church, how much more should we take from that? In Ephesians, Paul says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is a weapon we use to defend ourselves against the enemy. It is something that we also use to encourage those who don't know Jesus. It is not a weapon that we use to stab one another with. And this is what was happening in Paul's day. That sometimes we come, become so depraved, so depraved because of our sin, that whether it's within the church, we stab one another. When someone falls, all of a sudden we're surprised by sin, and we say, good, I'm glad things are happening to them. What that tells us is that we are so far removed from Jesus, and what it should reflect is our deprivation. And what it should convict us of is our need for Jesus. Suffering should lead to worship who God is, what God is doing, not to division. And when we're talking about division, look, 
We talked about this last week. Paul is trying to talk and walk through unity within the church, unity within the body. Unity does not mean uniformity. Okay? Unity doesn't mean uniformity. But it does mean what brings us together is the gospel. That's ultimately what brings us together. And the last one, suffering should lead to joy. You see, joy, and I've said this before, and we talked a little bit about this in Habakkuk, joy is not an emotion. It's actually a lifestyle. That we are not defined by our circumstance. Our identity does not rest in our circumstance, but our circumstance is an opportunity for Christ to work in us and for Christ to work through us. So again, please do not waste your suffering. I know it's difficult. Paul knows that it's hard. Paul knows that we're going to encounter hardship. And he is reminded that the grace of God is sufficient for him. And because of that, he rejoices. Because of that, he rejoices. Suffering for you and I should be a part of our sanctification. You guys remember the definition of sanctification? We're going to walk through that a lot this time in Philippians. Sanctification is the ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. And for for many Christians, we'll stop there. Becoming more like Jesus. There's a second half of it. It's becoming more like Jesus and growing to hate our sin all the more. Okay? That's what it means. It is an ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus and we grow to hate our sin more. We don't take it with us. Suffering should be in part of our sanctification. God uses suffering for the glory of His name, for the proclamation of His Word, and for the personal sanctification of His people. If you find yourself in a season of suffering, please do not waste it. And if you are, repent. Others are watching, whether they are non-Christians or your Christian brother and sister, they are watching. Do not waste your suffering. Do not let it go by the wayside. Paul's, I mentioned his goal was that the Word is proclaimed and that people are coming to know Jesus. That can be ours as well. Do not waste your suffering. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we close our time, Lord, as we close our time, My prayer is that your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in the lives of of your people. Not only for the glory of your name, but so that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. Additionally, your word says that your Holy Spirit is a good counselor and a comforter means you're a God of comfort. And so for those who are in seasons of difficulty, uh, discomfort, and suffering, Lord, my prayer is that you would remind them of your comfort, that you would remind them of your grace, 
and that you remind them of your word where Jesus says, the sheep know my name and no one can snatch them out of my hand. May the grace that we rest in and the hope that we cling to be be what Jesus has given us. Lord, as we walk into a time of tithes and offerings, Lord, this is where we give you our stuff. This is where we relinquish the control we think we have. This is where we... This is a testimony of your work in us. This is a testimony that helps to advance the gospel This is a testimony to something tangible that expands your kingdom, not ours, but yours. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time, this time in worship. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.